cause or Christ? Which one is our true first? Which one of these positions determines our first place position and our innermost being, our womb, the place where life is conceived? They are two positions and both are in and of Christ, his kingdom. But which one is our first and which one is our second? Do we have the cause of Christ ahead of a surrendered heart and mind position in Christ? Are we sold out for the function but have no revelation of abiding fellowship, which is to define and determine all function? These questions are earth-shattering questions. These questions shine light into the depths of our innermost being place of life and understanding. These questions, if we will look at them honestly, will uncover us and expose us for what we truly believe and live out. Peter and all his disciples were all committed to the cause of Christ before they were surrendered to God. We see this by Peter denying his knowing of Jesus after his confession and declaration of being able to go to his death with Jesus, Mark 14, 29 to 31. And all the disciples were saying the same thing, but modeling the same behavior as Peter. It's much easier to be committed to a cause than it is to be wholeheartedly surrendered to Christ because one requires the complete loss of one's life while the other doesn't. When one is only committed to the cause, one can still be completely in control of one's life and defining the cause from one's own perspective. The question we must unpack then is what does it mean to lose our lives, being surrendered and in full submission to the person, Jesus Christ? What does it mean to lose the way you think and acquire his mind, the mind of Christ? What does it mean to lose your will? desires, dreams, plans, passions, and ambition? What does it mean to lose your thoughts and beliefs around ministry and learn his thoughts and his ways? What does it mean to leave everything and learn a completely brand new way of being and then follow Jesus? Peter thought he had left everything to follow Christ, when in reality, he had only left everything of a physical nature his wife, his occupation, his possessions, and income. Peter's internal reality, his heart, mind, ambition, purpose, desires, understanding, beliefs, all came along with him, and it would be this which Jesus would address as they walked together physically. Peter would have to go through a complete breaking of his inner realm and reality, the place where life is conceived, if he was to become the Peter Christ had predestined him to be. Whether we like it or not, we too have to go through the same process of inner transformation. Failure to go through this inner transformation work will not only see us not receive the true inner eternal life of the Spirit, but we will also not be able to live out the cause and mission of God in an accurate alignment to Him. We will be doing what we think is right but it won't be a righteous act of a saint. So where does a surrendered life to Christ start and how does it actually happen? The first answer is easy and simple. This surrendered life begins in us. It begins with our inner realm, our heart, the place of understanding and life. This is where it all begins in that hidden realm, the deepest recesses of our human being. 
Psalm 51.6, Behold, I desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Galatians 1.15-16, But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Philippians 1, 5-6 In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. These are just three passages to which there are many more, but we can see that in all three, the key is the word in our inner place. The work that God does is an inner work first through his divine power. The next question is also just as easy and simple to answer. The surrendered life to Christ takes place and occurs through the receiving of the resurrectional power of Jesus Christ himself in us. Look at Paul's testimony in Galatians 1.16. When God revealed his son in me through an act of divine grace, power. When the resurrected one, the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, is revealed in us through grace, we are made alive in Christ, and we get raised up in Christ in the depth of our innermost being place, and we start to live a surrendered life to Christ himself. This is the how. There is no other way to a surrendered life in Christ, but through experiencing this act of divine resurrectional power entering one's body. This is the reality of what Paul spoke when he said, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2. The how is to be truly crucified with Christ on the inside through an act of grace. It's the work of God alone. Man has no part in this. It's not just believing through the articulation of words through a mental agreement of what Jesus did. It's receiving Jesus Christ himself deep in our innermost being, the hidden place. It's receiving the person who rose from death to life. Paul said, it's this, this is the way. You Thessalonians received the gospel in word, power, Holy Spirit, and full conviction. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 While man searches for alternative ways to this life, signs and wonders, those in Christ who are called, both Jew and Greek, preach Christ crucified, who is the power and wisdom of God. It is from this wisdom, this reality, this eternal truth, we see Jesus making these incredible statements or proclamations about himself, which say, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. Paul was the recipient of the Christ, the great I am within him. And we can be as well. This living dimension of Christ in us, in him, was the exclusive catalyst for the change of Saul into Paul. Saul was a man who was obsessed with what he perceived was the cause of Christ. His intent was to destroy the church, the very thing Jesus came to build and establish. 
He was a man on a mission, all right. And it would be while on this mission or cause that he would receive the divine revelation of Jesus Christ within him, which would see him utter these words in the book of Galatians. Galatians 1, 11 to 12. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The title before this verse is Paul Defends His Ministry. Why does Paul have to defend his ministry? Is it because there is a ministry of man and there is a ministry of God? The ministry of man is all about man's ability to enter into life through his own wisdom, while the ministry of God is all about God's divine power, Jesus Christ, who brings us into life. One is of human wisdom, while the other is of God's wisdom. The gospel received through the ministry of man produces the life of man, earthy, temporal, flesh, dead, painted up as life. The gospel received through the ministry of God produces the life of God, eternal, spirit, abundant, powerful, the real life. Saul was advancing in Judaism, the ministry of man. Paul was advancing in Christ, the ministry of God. The ministry of man will always have the cause of Christ as their primary objective. The cause or the mission will always be their true number one position, even though they say fellowship, loving God is. In reality, the number one position of fellowship with God won't even be a close second. It will be a mention, but in reality, it won't get a look in. Now, on the other hand, the ministry of God will have both fellowship and function operating within this ministry, but it will be in the divine pattern of heaven, having fellowship as the number one position, spiritual oneness, and all function flowing out of this oneness. This ensures that there is no burnout, stress, anxiety, and worry within the body, and everything is coming forth from being in the rest of God. This is why Paul has to defend his ministry, because within his very own people, there are some who are going back to the wisdom of man, which is the intellectual understanding of words, theoretical knowledge, as opposed to the wisdom of God, which is experiential actuality of God operating within you by power, resulting in a true knowledge of God, which transforms us, building his life within us so we can demonstrate the true wisdom of God on this earth. The ministry of man is intellectually understanding the scriptures. The ministry of God is power to bring to life and light the knowledge of God within us. This all comes back to the gospel we have received and are receiving. A powerless gospel is not the gospel at all. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, the church, who are being saved, the gospel is the power of God. The word of the cross is the power of God. It was Jesus who was on that cross, and Jesus is the power of God, and he is the resurrection and the life. So when Jesus Christ is revealed in us, we are instantly brought to life and start living a new way. An intellectual agreement or a mental agreement of what Jesus did through the articulation of words, is nothing like the receiving of what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection. 
One gives you theoretical knowledge, while the other gives you experiential knowledge. It's experiential knowledge only that enables us to live as Christ lived. This is the knowledge Paul declares and speaks of. His knowledge is of him, the Messiah. Christ was first for Paul, then the cause. I wonder if Christ is first for you, and then the cause. It's theoretical knowledge that has you esteeming the cause of Christ at the highest level than coming to know Christ himself. Experiential knowledge continuously brings you into the person, and where the person is, is where the life is to live this Christ-like life out. It's the knowledge of Christ and the ongoing knowledge of Christ that determines our ability to live as Christ. It's all about him. Contained in him is everything to life and godliness. So when Peter wrote, we have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness, it's because we have been given the Son. Paul comes into this revelation and doesn't hold back in his declaration of this life-giving reality. Ephesians 3, 7 to 9. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted at loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have surrendered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. The demonstration of Paul's life was lived out in correlation to his knowing of Jesus, his Messiah. The cause he lived out came of his knowing of Jesus Christ. It's from this dimension of the Spirit which we must imitate Paul as he imitates the Christ. Anything less than this is to not be in Christ, and we end up living for the cause out of our own sakes, our own strength, and our own way. This way receives no eternal reward and leads to burnout, frustration, disillusionment, and despair while on earth. And this is not of God. Our entire lives must be defined by knowing Jesus Christ and not the cause of Christ. It's fully possible to not know Jesus and be on mission to his cause. That would be a fatal mistake that we make as a follower of Jesus. So I encourage you to have Christ ahead of the cause so you can run in an alignment to Christ and receive the fullest life now on earth and in the age to come.